Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The Therapy Thoughts Podcast is all about breaking down therapy-related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So join me for quick and direct educational episodes and some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together, we are going to break down stigma. We're going to help each other make peace with mind, body, and food. We're going to make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. Today, I have an excellent interview all about ADHD with someone who I really, really like and had a really great conversation with. This is Jacqueline Levine Pritzker. And we got to talk about her lived experience as well as her experience coaching folks with ADHD. Jack is a 28-year-old entrepreneur who empowers ADHD women and non-binary folks to embrace their strengths and work through challenges in community. She does this through one-on-one coaching, group coaching, monthly membership, and soon-to-be retreats and in-person events. Jack is passionate about normalizing and depathologizing what it means to be human, especially a neurodiverse human. This was a super fun interview for me. I learned a ton. I hope you soak up all the good information. Um, I really respect the work that Jack is doing and can't wait for you to learn all about it. Let's go. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm so <laughs> glad to be here. It's so good to see you and finally meet you. <laughs> My audience has asked for years for me to cover ADHD on the Therapy Thoughts podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, I just don't have the expertise. I need someone who does. And I found you. Yay! Yeah, I've been a huge fan of your account forever. So it's such an honor. And from the ADHD community, thank you for centering our voices, especially during ADHD Awareness Month right now. Yeah. I didn't didn't know. It's serendipitous. Yeah, it's ADHD Awareness Month. It's perfect. So yeah, we're recording October 5th. This will be published later, but we got to make sure it's at least in October. Sweet. So cool. Um, Okay, so let me say this. I don't know a ton about ADHD, but I want to tell, I want to like share what I know so then you can take it from there. That sounds perfect. So I taught abnormal psychology at like the university level for six years, and that's what I know about ADHD is like the textbooks. And then I worked in the drug court system for a while, and most of my clients were teenagers who got busted with like cannabis charges and were in therapy. And a lot of them were like self-medicating yeah, for ADHD. Huge. And so I want to talk about all this stuff. Like what is it? What's the right verbiage? What I also do know is people say I have ADD and what they mean is ADHD inattentive type or people let's get the let's get the verbiage right let's talk about who has it what it is what it's not myths like let's let's make this the one-stop shop to like figure out ADHD 
Yeah, that sounds amazing. Thanks for sharing your experience too, because I think what you just highlighted is so important, which is like, there's a huge correlation between ADHD and addiction, particularly Mm -hmm. self-medicating. So, so common. So I'm not surprised that that was an experience that you had. Let's bookmark and talk about meds too. But before we get to meds, let's talk about, yeah, just ADHD. Tell us what that is. What's that that mean? Yeah, totally. So before I do, I just want to just preface by saying, you know, I've learned a lot about ADHD. My, I have ADHD. I'm a certified ADHD coach. Well, almost done with it. Um, and I'm still in the question and learning a lot myself. And there's a lot of different perspectives on all of these things. So this is just what I'm sharing is some facts and also my uh, lived experience and my perspective with these things too. So Yes, a lot of people say ADD, and there was a shift in the DSM. I can't remember which one. It used to be ADD and ADHD. So ADD being what most people picture as like the daydreamer, the person losing things. So that stood for attention deficit disorder. ADHD used to stand for, or still does stand for, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Now they're all under, it's all under the umbrella of ADHD. So I I actually hate the way that ADHD is framed and talked about in the DSM, but just to share what it is, it's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And then there's three types that fall under that umbrella. So there's inattentive type, which is very similar, if not the same as what used to be considered ADD. Um, so ADHD inattentive type is one, ADHD hyperactive type is two, and ADHD combined type is number three. So when people say ADHD now, um, sometimes they'll say like ADHD slash I, which means ADHD inattentive type. It's a little confusing, but that, that's kind of what, what goes down with it now. Okay. I think as a therapist, we we wrestle with the whole idea of diagnosis, period. There are pros and cons, but I will say one pro to diagnosis and the conceptualization of mental illness is that we have language to describe this just easily, So, and we understand treatment based on that, right? So as yeah. someone with, with who lives with ADHD and you're part of this community, what's the importance of like the verbiage and language around that? Yeah, I think it's really important because I think a lot of, especially a lot of us with inattentive type. So I'm diagnosed with ADHD inattentive type, though I self, self-identify self a little bit more as combined type. I think oftentimes in in women and other folks that the hyperactivity Uh, over time either gets like masked. So we might not be like jumping around in a chair or being super disruptive in a classroom or anything like that. But we may be like tapping really quietly and discreetly under our desk or having hyperactivity going on in our thoughts is, is another really common thing. And so I think kind of being forced at this point, if we want to use the current modern language and be accurate, So you have to lump ourselves sort of under this ADHD diagnosis just feels 
really, it, it doesn't really feel aligned to me. It doesn't feel like it really describes what my experience is. And I think outside of the hyperactive piece, just the, you know, a, the attention deficit piece, like just to start off with like the main part of it just doesn't really fit. And there's been a lot of research that ADHD isn't necessarily a deficit of attention. Rather, it's a challenge regulating our attention and regulating yeah. our emotions <laughs> for that matter. And that's definitely much more my experience. I mean, I can focus better than most people I know, but pulling out of that focus or transitioning from one thing to another is really the challenge. And then lastly, it just feels like it, you know, I was diagnosed as a kid and, and didn't really do anything about it. Cause I didn't, I thought it was just like, Oh, it's just focus. And, you know, I do fine. It doesn't encapsulate the bigger picture of ADHD, which is oftentimes so not even like focus is like the least of our concerns, like the emotional regulation piece, mm -hmm. sensory challenges, um, sensitivity to uh, rejection or criticism, overthinking, perfection, like all of those things are really so much more accurate in describing it than like an attention deficit disorder for that matter. Oh, we could get into so much <laughs> nuance. Oh yeah. The, the like teacher in my brain is like, don't jump to the nuance first cover the like foundation. Right. So I'm yeah. like bookmarking. I want to come back to that. Yeah. Whatever. I'm just going to say it. So I have, um, I have, uh, I'm part of a circle of friends, I guess, or, or with people who are pretty anti-diagnosis, particularly mm -hmm. ADHD, because it's like, this isn't a disorder. Nothing's mm -hmm. quote unquote wrong. Our culture's too demanding. This is like, a perfectionistic standard classrooms are built wrong. Like this is just a different learning type. Yeah. What do you think? I think it's a both and situation, uh, which is something I've been heavily embracing both in my life, but also, especially with ADHD, I think everything you just said is, is absolutely true, right? It's kind of like talking about a social model of disability versus a medical model of disability. And for me, it's, there's no doubt in my mind. Can I swear on this podcast? Is that allowed? Yeah. Oh yeah. Explicit. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt in my mind. Like I'm, I'm not clear about a lot of things. I'm in the question of a lot of things, but one thing I am very, very clear on is that we live in a very, very fucked up society with, with ridiculous, absurd expectations of productivity and efficiency and, in a society that doesn't value a lot of the really big strengths of ADHD, like sensitivity and attention to like, like hyper attention to different things and creativity and all of those things. And so I think a huge piece of this is I ADHD is, is not in my opinion, inherently a disability or is inherently something wrong with us. In a lot of other cultures and a lot of past in a lot of past cultures and societies, ADHD is a huge strength and I think it still can be. And we live in a society that doesn't work for our brains and therefore the diagnosis becomes really important 
and the medicine, the meds support, if that's what people want, whatever treatment becomes really important. And I think it can be, this is what it's so nuanced and it's so both. And because I do believe it can be problematic when we, when we fully take away, no, this is not a disability at all. There's nothing wrong because then what happens when somebody's in a job or in school and they need support because the classroom or the situation is not set up for their brain. So like baseline, no, there's nothing wrong with us. And we have so many strengths and we live in a society that doesn't accommodate those things. So it becomes a huge challenge that requires support. Hell yeah. This is, and it will impair your functioning in real life. Hell yeah. And that's what we're trying to wrestle with here, right? Like mental illness defined three things and impairment of functioning, personal distress and outside the norm. That's the best we got. That's all we have to kind of measure quote unquote mental illness, mental health. And I think, yeah, you're right. Nothing is quote unquote wrong unless it is problematic for this person. And right. Okay. So what are like the key features? How does someone know if this is something going on with them? Yeah, so I mean, there's the key defining features in the DSM, um, which I'm honestly blanking on right now because I I honestly don't even really spend much time wrestling with them or thinking about them that much at this point. Um, so don't worry about like getting it perfect. People can Google yeah, what are the yeah, signs yeah, yeah. symptoms. Yeah, yeah. Then I can tell you, you know, what I see mostly. Yeah. Uh, some of the biggest challenges with the clients that I personally work with. And I mean, given I'm attracting a certain kind of client, like I'm a very highly sensitive, uh, creative entrepreneur kind of ADHD, or so that's like sort of the people that I'm attracting. But a lot of times, I mean, I think emotional regulation challenges is like the number one thing that I see and hear from my clients and from from the community online. I think it's really easy to pathologize what that means. I really think living in a world not designed for our brains can make us can cause massive emotional dysregulation. So something as little as like, our clothes not feeling right, or one, somebody saying something to us that that's hurtful can like totally cause an ADHD or to like, go on this whole emotional roller coaster ride. And actually, you know, a lot of folks, particularly women with ADHD get get diagnosed with bipolar before getting diagnosed with ADHD or borderline personality disorder, anxiety, depression, this, that, or the other thing, because emotional regulation is coming up so strongly and it's nowhere to be found in the DSM. Uh, So I think it's really important to note that piece as something huge. Another thing that I see really, really common is kind of just like this overall sense and, and, (laughs) To be fair, I'm sure everyone in the world is experiencing this right now, but like kind of this chronic sense of overwhelm. And this often gets misdiagnosed as anxiety, though sometimes they are comorbid and sometimes there's both or sometimes it's, you know, all com- all complicated. But 
there's oftentimes you'll still hear ADHDers being like, <laughs> like, for example, yesterday I had to do my dishes. It was not a big deal. I knew it was going to take me a very short period of time, but you'll find ADHDers kind of stressing out about something like that all day. Like it can ruin your whole day and just stress you out so much. I also see indecision, indecision being one of the biggest challenges, like analysis paralysis, and that can stem from a lot of different things, but kind of just feeling, feeling really stuck and not being able to move forward. Um, and I mean, I, I see, you know, hyperactivity, impulsivity, some of those more common traits, um, I definitely think are, are big, um, and inattention, right? So inattention, it can look different, like often, you know, the kind of stereotypical stuff, like losing your keys. I found my, I found literally found my key recently in a pizza box in my refrigerator. No <laughs> joke. I was like, am I kidding myself? Like, what is happening? Um, so things like that, losing your keys, forgetting things, working memory. A lot of us really, really struggle with memory challenges. And then a lot of other things like, you know, impulsivity doesn't necessarily look like doing something super wild. It can look like impulse shopping or um, it can also look like something really great, like impulsively starting a successful business, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I could kind of go on and on, but I'm going to pause there and see if you have any questions or anything <clears throat> from, from here. I know I'm babbling a little. Not at all. And you intuitively are with me because my next question was about differential diagnosis. How do we accurately diagnose people? Um, and I could pull out, you know, my grad school comparison charts of yeah. like differential diagnosis between bipolar disorder, PTSD, anxiety, and ADHD, because there's so much overlap. Mm -hmm. And I, I, swing on the anxiety spectrum from moderate to severe anxiety disorder, generalized okay. anxiety. Yeah. But what you're describing, I'm like, shit, dude, do I actually have ADHD? Which I've been told I may have by like people who sit next to me in chairs and are like, mm -hmm. what's with your energy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. so how, you know, other than going to a therapist who specializes and can do the testing, which is what I would recommend. What, yeah. what do you think? How would someone right now with anxiety who's worried about having more going on than they know? How will you help people kind of get down to this and know if they are dealing with these symptoms or not? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's a really hard question. It's also a little outside of my wheelhouse. But there's been a lot of like, I've done a lot of working with folks with ADHD and anxiety, right? And then also a lot of folks work who have ADHD and have anxiety that stems out of their ADHD, right? So I think, you know, like you said, first and foremost, like see see a professional, get get testing done. There's a lot of different testing. And I think it's really important. I think the number one most important thing is to find someone who is competent in ADHD, because unfortunately, yeah. it's really rare. ADHD is so misunderstood in the mental health world. And it can often lead to not having the proper diagnosis. So I think that's the, you know, the most important thing is just finding someone. Um, and then 
you know, I, I think listening and learning from lived experience can also be really helpful. It's not necessarily complete, right? But listening and being part of community where you can hear people like these are the kind of conversations we have inside my community all the time. Like, do you think this is anxiety? Or is this this? Is this normal? Do you all have do you all deal with this? Um, and you can kind of start having those conversations. I wish I could give more of a clear answer to this. It's a great answer. I just don't want to overstep too much here yeah. in the diagnosis world, you know? That gives you more credibility from my point of view. When we know, when we step outside of our our expertise or we say, hey, that's outside of my scope of practice, mm. that's ethical treatment. So as a coach, I appreciate you understanding that and I'm, I mean, as a licensed therapist, I'm saying, I don't want people to come to me to do ADHD testing yeah, yeah. because just because I'm licensed doesn't mean I'm qualified or specialized. Now I will tell you what that looked like when I worked for other people and had to, mm. I would write up. So people would come in and we would hand them self report assessments, meaning like yes or no, click these boxes to give us an idea. But the best testing I saw in the mental health field was the CPT it's a computer test where little like letters pop up mm -hmm. and like you sit there and you hit the space bar every time it pops up and it's measuring, it's like a 15 minute assessment measuring impulsivity and focus mm -hmm. and memory. And that would give a really nice objective and print out this big, you know, report. But then like, I remember wrestling with my supervisors being like, how do we know what this is? And we would do a whole battery of mental health assessments and write up like, 15 page reports trying to nail down diagnosis. And so wow. that could be how comprehensive it is. Yeah. I would just caution folks from going online and being like, do I have ADHD and doing one self report for question? Yes or no yeah. assessment. And like, yeah. you know, labeling themselves. Like if, if you actually are wanting treatment, you can, you can have a pretty intense experience to find that out. But I'm not saying that's what you have to do, but that's yeah. what that would look like for a lot of folks. Yeah. I, I think there's so much benefit in getting a diagnosis and in going through that process. Um, and also wanting to know, you know, something that I hear so often, that's such a reality is that ADHD assessments are typically really inaccessible for a lot of people financially and for a whole lot of other reasons. So from where I stand, at least, I think getting a diagnosis if you can and if you want is is awesome. Finding someone that is able to do that assessment and, and take into consideration nuances and their own bias. So gender bias, racial bias, et cetera, in diagnosing, right? And also, I, I personally, in my practice, allow for and support self-diagnosis. And I'm with you. Like, I don't consider self-diagnosis, like, listening to a single podcast, right? So, like, don't listen to this podcast and be like, I have ADHD for sure, right? But, like, if it sparks something in you, consider, like, doing a lot more research, listening to other people, and exploring that more for yourself. 100%. And yeah, I want to be crystal clear that a lot of us therapists suck at our job. We suck at diagnosis. <laughs> and it's not like we know how to perfectly diagnose every issue. We like pick yeah. one or two things we're really good at. 
And so I love lived experience. And if a client comes in and is saying like, here's what I think, that is probably the best information I can gather way more than any like evaluation and psychological test, the lived experience, what they're saying. I read stories on Instagram of people being like, I was diagnosed with everything in the book, except the real thing that I actually had. And I'm the one who came to that discovery. So this, I guess it's my anxiety disorder speaking where I'm like, Mm. Don't just diagnose yourself with everything you hear about in the world because that's mm-hmm. what anxiety, health anxiety would do. Oh, yeah. So that speaks to my lived experience, but yeah. I want to also... <laughs> You're following me, right? Yeah, I'm, no, I'm totally... I think what I think what we're both... I think it's another like both ands. Like I think what you're saying is so important and I'm sure you have listeners that, that are dealing with anxiety too and that can lead to like an uh, awful spiral and being part of also like a chronic illness community myself and like dealing with that and having like self-diagnosed myself 8 million times, I think it can be, it's definitely not something to take lightly. Yeah. So we all take a deep breath and we're doing a great job navigating the nuance. (laughs) Lots of nuance. Lots of nuance. Oh gosh. I have so many questions. And if you don't know, you don't know. And if you do, you do. So I'm just going to ask. Yeah, go for it. Do you know much about the literal brain areas or brain functions that are contributing to ADHD? Mm, so I actually, as in typical ADHD, poor working memory form, it's something that I've researched so much and that every time I get asked about, I'm like, I just can't remember. So it's I, I can't give you a great answer here right now. I would have to like pull up more of my research to remember and I could give some off the cuff stuff, but... I'm gonna. I'm not going to. I don't okay. want to. Okay, that's okay. It's it's a tricky question, and yeah. I've been taught it multiple times, and yeah. I don't retain that either. So what I what I can tell listeners is there are specific tangible brain yes. areas that we can scan. We understand it's a relation to like functioning and executive functioning and memory. Yes. That this isn't just in your head. That there is actually yes parts of your brain with which needs neither of us can remember which is interesting yeah (laughs) (laughs) tiff (laughs) we're good okay next thing this ties into like myths and stuff but you're an adult yes i am and (laughs) i I think a lot of folks might have this misconception or myth that like adhd is a childhood diagnosis and then like you grow out of it. Can you speak to that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think one of the biggest myths and challenges with that is is yeah, when people think of ADHD, oftentimes like that image that may come to mind is like like this white 12-year-old kid boy like bouncing around, being disruptive in a classroom, interrupting, like jumping up and down, whatever the case may be. And while that is certainly like a form of ADHD and does exist, uh, that's just a small portion of how ADHD manifests. And for a lot of women um, and non-binary folks and men, but I'm just going to speak to women here, because that's like a lot of what I what I focus who I work with, uh, there's actually an experience often of not getting diagnosed until 
like mid 20s, late 20s, early 30s. And oftentimes going going through most of your life, either not being diagnosed or being diagnosed and not really knowing what it means. And then all of a sudden, all of these like life responsibilities hit college, grad school is a like so many folks get diagnosed in grad school, I got diagnosed in law school. And I think actually, it's like, it, it tend, despite the myth that it's really like something only in kids, for a lot of people, it really becomes problematic in adulthood when all of a sudden you're having to juggle and balance all your bills and paying rent on time and cooking for your, like mm-hmm. feeding yourself. And that's when shit can often tend to hit the fan. So it's it's something that can exist in anyone. It doesn't start in adulthood, though it may start manifesting more in adulthood. You're, you're born with it and you grow with it. It doesn't leave, it doesn't come at any point in your life. It doesn't leave at any point in your life. It may be like triggered or activated differently at different stages oh. of your life. Um, and so, yeah, it's something that it you have. It's It's a neurobiological difference that that you're born with and that stays with you. And yeah, so anyone can have it. It does not discriminate against anything, age, race, gender, anything, anything else. Okay. What do you think about like the overdiagnosis of ADHD in the nineties? Are we still dealing with that? Are you thinking it's underdiagnosed because we don't understand it? What's that? Statistically, I don't have the answer, but just from from my observations and my thoughts, I think it's both. <laughs> um, I think it can be it's it's definitely mis and underdiagnosed in certain populations of people, as we kind of talked about earlier. And then I think there's other situations where you know, it is being overdiagnosed. And that can look like situations where perhaps it's childhood abuse or childhood trauma going on that's playing out in the classroom, or something of that nature. And those children are like labeled problematic or having behavioral issues, and then just get like slapped an ADHD diagnosis, and they're not dealing with the underlying cause. Um, So I think I think it can be both <laughs> underdiagnosed and and overdiagnosed and I think that there's you know a lot of a lot of different challenges that a lot of people speak on at much greater length and understanding with with the racial bias and diagnosis and the gender bias and all of these problems that go into either under or, or over diagnosing in different communities. Yeah. Okay. Um, I really appreciate the cultural competence you bring to this discussion and the nuance and understanding that like our field is extremely research biased white populations, males, there's a lot of still fat phobia in research, Mm -hmm. there's racism in research, there's a lot of socioeconomic like privilege that goes to this. So I just appreciate the awareness that you're spreading with that and helping us do better. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. It's something that 
I'm really just like learning a lot more about and taking responsibility over to really learn and and do better and educate myself in that. And like I said, there's a lot of people who are do, putting out a lot of really amazing work around around this kind of stuff. So yeah, it's important. I mean, especially when, when we talk about ADHD, almost all of the research is based on like white boys. So that's obviously going to be problematic when it comes to diagnosing or when it comes to how we perceive how we perceive ADHD and and how different that looks for so many other people. Yeah. What do you think about you said something you're like you're born with this and then it kind of like fluctuates throughout life and I I mean all mental illness quote unquote can be broken down to that nature and nurture piece biology and environment and what triggers manifestation, what triggers symptomology. So just as like uh, someone who knows nothing about ADHD, I've heard a lot of shit about red food dye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I immediately have beef with anyone saying there's a food mm-hmm. that's responsible for something because of my expertise in eating disorders and yeah. intuitive eating. But uh, I mean, I actually don't know anything about it. So what do you know about that? Yeah, it's, again, I I really appreciate the questions that you're asking, because there's so much nuance in all of them. And, you know, I come from a history of disordered eating myself and have to be really careful when exploring these concepts. I think that we need to be really careful with those claims, because they are very easily weaponized against ADHD being kind of in terms of like, ADHD isn't real. It's just too much sugar or it's um, it's just trauma or it's, you know, this, that or the other thing. A lot of arguments get used with those kinds of with that kind of information. So I think we need to be really careful. And because there's always an and um, I don't know about red dye in particular. I do believe that the food that we eat has an impact on our brain function. And I think that there's a lot of complexity in this. So I not only deal with ADHD, I also have mold illness and deal with candida and a lot of other chronic illness related things, which Mm -hmm. a lot of other people, like there's a huge, I don't know, I don't know causation, correlation. I don't know what the deal is. All I know is there's a lot of other ADHDers dealing with a lot of chronic illness. And so I think for myself, um, and again, it's really hard to even go here, go here because it's like can be weaponized so easily. But I think there's a lot of my symptoms that are very much exacerbated by mold, by heavy metal, by gut issues, by all of those kinds of things. And that's something that needs to be taken into consideration and sort of like a holistic treatment and look into ADHD. Yeah. I really like your answers. Oh, I'm so glad. That makes me so happy. I'm so nervous. (laughs) I'm super intimidating with my pink hair and my therapy is cool beanie. Dude, I'm asking you hard questions that I don't know the answers to and that I know you could get heat for. So I appreciate your your careful your careful consideration of answers. And I think 
we want to be really careful in the mental health field to break this freaking idea that food is medicine. Mm-hmm. What I'm not saying is food doesn't matter. Food matters mm-hmm. a lot. Food does matter. And absolutely, if you eat something you're allergic to, or you have a reaction to, or you notice it increases symptoms, don't freaking ignore that. Like we want you to intuitively connect to your body. But we also know that a hyperfixation and moralizing of food and like righteous obsession creates other really serious, literal, deadly problems for people like orthorexia, eating disorders. So, yo, there is no black or white easy answer. And I love your motto of like both and mm-hmm. two things exist. And, you know, we don't we don't always know perfectly. Psychology is a big question mark for a lot of things. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, we could probably like do a whole podcast, the two of us on on the like intuitive eating food piece of all of this, right? It's something like I've heard you talk about at length in your orthorexia podcast, which I sent to like 8,000 people probably was huge for me. And so, you know, I come at this conversation really carefully because I think I'm probably still working through some of my own disordered shit around all of this, right? And I want to be really careful not to project that onto other people. And I also am clear that a lot of the work that I've done with like functional medicine and healing my gut and this, that, and the other thing has, has helped and has made a difference. And so it's just this kind of like tricky web of thing that we all get to kind of explore for ourselves and in therapy. Like I've done, like this has been in therapy for me, all of the explorations, right? So I haven't been on my own exploring all of these complexities. Yeah, it's tricky, dude. And I think like I got I started getting migraines a couple years ago and everyone's like, you just got to find your food triggers. And I'm like, F everyone. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to eat whatever I want, whenever Mm -hmm. I want. I'm Mm -hmm. recovered. But then it's it's undeniable. I am able to identify certain things that I literally put them in my mouth and within 30 minutes I have a migraine and I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. So if we can see this with physical health, if people yeah. have allergies, if you get a migraine after you eat something, it, it, it's that nuance of negotiating and navigating. It's like, you can still eat the thing, but having, yeah. you know, replacement instead of restriction and understanding I can choose and opt into this. And how's this make my body feel like that's, an important part of this conversation anytime we talk about totally. food. Totally. Yep. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, obviously I want to keep talking about food. It's kind of my thing, but I know. I want to talk about medication because I just think yeah. that's the controversy. Yeah. Yeah. So I am pretty neutral when it comes to meds. And what I mean by that is and this isn't me just trying to like play it safe. This was like my genuine response. I, what I mean is I think for some people, meds are amazing, life-changing, life-saving, and can make such a huge difference. And if that's the case, I am so, so supportive of that decision. And I think that is fantastic. And there are other people who meds have like the, cons of the side effects outweigh the pros or for other other reasons choose not to go 
the Western medical route. And I think that's totally cool too. Um, I've been on and off Ritalin twice in my life. Um, I'm currently not medicated. I went on Ritalin during my last semester of law school when I was like <laughs> really struggling a lot and needed some support. And it, it helped. It helped a ton. I then went off of it and I went back on it um, after my sister died. And it was a time where I was just really struggling and I needed a little boost. And it did that for me. You know, when I'm on meds, it's like I can look back at my bullet journal and I can, without even looking at dates, like I know when I was on meds because it's so, everything was like there. I checked in every day. I was like organized, right? So it it helped me tremendously through two really hard times. Mm. Um, and for me personally, it felt like the cons were outweighing the pros. And I tend to get on meds a little like obsessive and it, it increases my anxiety. Mm. Um and, you know, I have questions about for myself, how it how it may interact with some of my other chronic illness related things. So mm -hmm. I choose currently not to be on it. I think for everyone, whether you're going to go on meds or not, there are in addition, so many other supports, right? So mm -hmm. like, if you do go on meds, or you don't go on meds, great, right? And like, there's so many other ways to also get support. So coaching, therapy, and what I think is really the most important, which which is often a privilege and not possible for everyone is like really designing your life around your strengths, right? And so I found for myself, like when I've been able to do that, like, I don't start work until 10. Um, you know, I, I have my clients spaced out how I need and I've got an assistant to help me with the things that I, my brain and my executive function challenges just aren't about. Like when I'm able to do that, meds become less important for me. That doesn't mean I, I may not ever go back on them. Um, yeah. I'm mostly sitting here thinking I want to have a podcast with you. <gasps> Let's do it. Dude, we share a lot of the same perspectives. And I really just, I, I think you're just uh, really well-spoken and thoughtful. Thank you. That means so much coming from you. I mean, yeah, I guess like I've listened to, I've listened to so, like I've I like religiously listened to your podcast. Like I'm sure you've seen me post about it. I mean, after I lost my sister to suicide, your podcast on suicide, like I remember I was in San Diego, like walking on the beach, like by, like on this like railroad. And I was, and I was like, so resistant to listening to your podcast. Cause I was just like, I don't know if I can go there right now. Um, and I did. And I just remember like hysterically crying. And I think I sent you a message after that, just being like, thank you so much. Like mm -hmm. that was so wonderful. And so what I'm saying is basically like, I've followed along with you so much that like, I, I feel so connected to you already and like your way of thinking and doing things is like I just love so it's like just such an honor for you to 
say that about me. Thank you. Are we falling in love on the I internet think, right now? Oh, everyone observe. <laughs> we are falling in love and we're going to start a podcast together. Dude, I couldn't withhold my verbal affirmations in that moment. I'm like, thank you for speaking to meds, but I just really like you. So like there you go. Okay, <laughs> That's my love language. Um, dude, my thoughts are so similar on meds just in general. Mm. I'm really open about taking medication. Yeah. But I have a body that literally loves medication. Amazing. Yeah. I've never had the slightest reaction. I've never had, like, it doesn't matter. Like, if I put an anxiety medication in my body, my brain's like, yep, 100%. This <laughs> is 100% what we need. Yeah. Um, but I'm also really neutral, honestly, with yeah. people. And I'm like, not everyone needs it. Not everyone wants it. Yeah. And it comes and goes. And I was off meds for years got on in grad school, got off, mm -hmm. got back on after having a kid. Cause mm, that was, yeah. Yeah. That was gnarly. And then increased some after my dad died and then just increased some a couple, like a month ago for 2020 because makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's a lot. And I'm with you, like being open to that, exploring what's right for you. And if I look at kind of like the pie chart of mental health, meds are absolutely, absolutely a piece but meds alone ain't the, ain't the answer for the vast majority of people. So I love the nuance. I love the permission of like, there's options, no mm -hmm. shame. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I often do encourage like a lot of my clients who are sort of in the question of it, if they're really in the question of it, like I'll often encourage them to consider just trying it and, you know, figuring out you can listen to all of the people, right? You'll hear hundreds of people saying that they're amazing and that they changed their life. And then you'll hear a hundred more saying that they're horrible. They gave them rashes. They made them anxious, this, that, and the other thing. And so, you know, ultimately if someone is really in the question and really struggling, I've, I've often encouraged folks to just try it obviously under the care of a mental health professional that can prescribe and everything and just kind of see how it goes for them. Yeah. Amen. And I love that because it's like, this isn't, we don't have to be afraid to do what's right for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And you don't know if it's going to be the game changer for you in either direction. Right. But I, I think as we destigmatize mental health, mental wellness, and if meds are a piece of that, please, I hope this, this message empowers you to just know like it, it's okay. Yeah. If that's, if that's what you do. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so the last question I'm going to ask you is to give us kind of your expertise spiel. What are your tips for living with ADHD, managing those symptoms? Give us, we're going to make a nice Instagram graphic out of this. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> how, you decide how many tips you want to okay. include. Okay, yeah. So I think that, my first tip is really broad, but it's, I think it's what I most stand for, which is, again, to whatever extent possible, explore designing your life around your brain. So if you think about, like, if I, I, I think I, like, picked this up from somewhere, and so I might not be credited. I don't, I kind of like, I don't remember where I got this from, but there's like, if you think of a flower, like if there's a garden and a flower is dying, you don't ask what's wrong with the flower. 
you figure out what the circumstances are that needs to be changed. Does it need more light? Does it need more water? Does it, are there weeds around it? Are there this, that, or the other things? So I think approaching our ADHD in that way, rather than asking what's wrong with us, asking are there circumstances that I can shift to better accommodate the way that I work. And so that requires an understanding of how you work, right? So that can look like a lot of different things and what's possible for different people is different, right? So for me, that looks like being an entrepreneur, being my own boss, so I can create my own hours. Sometimes I'm super hyper-focused on my business and, and I post every single day and I'm all in. And then for three weeks, I'm like, peace, I'm over this, right? And so like allowing for that kind of flow. Um, it also looks like like finding a living situation to the extent that you can that works for you. So do you work bed- better in like hustle bustle? Do you work better like I live way up in the mountains, there's no cell service, there's no noise, there's no anything. It's like really accommodating to my sensory overload. Um, and, and you know, again, to whatever extent that could look like just changing the lighting, like if you like a certain kind of lighting or ambiance or those kinds of those kinds of shifts. Um, yeah, asking what what you can change in your environment and your circumstances to work for you is probably my number one tip. And that's obviously a really broad one. But other than that, I think second would be become part of community, whatever that looks like. You know, post-COVID, maybe there's in-person stuff. Right now there's a ton of virtual communities from ranging from like free support groups to memberships to coaching programs to like therapy groups, etc. I really believe that with ADHD, we just feel so isolated, like so much of our wounding is from feeling just so deeply misunderstood. Mm. And just constantly feeling like no one gets us, no one sees us, especially those of us that might present differently, um, or like what's not considered quote, the norm. And so when you can become part of a community and hear other people saying the same things and going through such similar challenges, it's so healing and can help like reduce so much shame. Like just even something as simple. I remember on a group call recently, someone brought up like they're behind on their registration of their car and like eight out of 10 people were like, no way. So am I. And it's just like, oh yeah, like this is not me being like a failure. This is like ADHD is really hard in our, in like the context of having to keep all these things in order. So yeah, be part of community, talk to other people who get it. Um, and, and then figure out some form of like treatment and support for you. And like, we talked about that might look like meds that might look like coaching that might look like therapy that might look like a free look like a free support group it might look like a combo but get get the support that you and your brain deserve whatever that whatever feels right for you about that huh what else what else I guess lastly well maybe lastly I don't know we'll see another one is finding a 
some kind of like organization time management system that works for you. And I wish I could give a clear cut answer here, but the answer is so different for everyone. I think with ADHD, we despise structure and we push structure away so hard. Yet, and all we want is like flexibility and freedom of time, yet we, we need structure. And so we thrive in structure. And so to whatever extent you can find a balance of like flexible structure in your life, um, that's going to really help. And so for me, that looks like a combo of like my uh, a bullet journal. And I use the word bullet journal very loosely. It was actually created by someone with ADHD, but I use like a very, very low key version of it, super messy, just like whatever. Um, and a Google calendar. So I have like a, a brain dump. I start with a brain dump and then I do like monthly lists and kind of break it down into smaller steps and making those steps like really small and manageable. I mean, I guess time management organization could be a whole other topic, but finding systems that work for you and viewing it as an experiment. So that could be part of the tip or another, my last tip, which is view all of these things as an experiment. We tend to be really rigid black and white thinkers with ADHD. So like all or nothing. And when we can take away some of that pressure and just say like, okay, like I'm going to try this system because we also have a lot of wounding over like starting things and not finishing them like 90% of the time. And so that can lead us then to create these stories and these beliefs around like, I don't finish things I start, therefore why even start? And so to just not worry about if you finish or not, just try it. If it sticks, it sticks. And if it doesn't, that's okay. And knowing that you can cycle through different things like something might work and then it might not so let it work and then let it like let it not work and find something else and keep cycling it so just kind of like flexibility with that I guess dang those are good I guess that's what I got right now five tips that's really helpful design your life be part of a community get treatment and support five find an organization time management system and then experiment with these to take the pressure off yeah, folks. Um, I think you should plug your membership services cool. and what you offer because I think it's pretty unique and cool and folks with ADHD or with loved ones dealing mm. would benefit. So tell us about that. Yeah. So sort of like the ongoing thing that I, that I constantly have is authentically ADHD monthly membership. It is for women and for non-binary folks who are comfortable in a space that centers the experiences of women. And it is currently $33 a month, but we are moving into a sliding scale system pretty shortly here. And it's both a community and a content-based membership. So we have like two live Q&As a week that I host. And then I've got uh, a person on my support team, Angelica, who's amazing, that hosts like virtual accountability sessions every week. We have BIPOC member groups run by Angelica. We've got uh, workshops on time management, on being an ADHD entrepreneur, on inner child work, on like all of these really cool things. And so you can join those live or watch them at your own time. It's a really cool community. It's a really great group of people. And um, I would love, love to see you in there if you're interested. 
That is a nutty deal. <laughs> yes. That's like three things minimum a week of like live interaction yeah. for 33 bucks or less a month. Like, okay, so how do people find you? Yeah, so you can find me. I hang out mostly on Instagram. So it's authentically ADHD. Um, or you can check out my website, which is www.authenticallyadhd.com. You can find my membership there. I also have a, I don't, depending on when you launch this, I have a group coaching program starting October 19th. So that may or may not be relevant. We'll see when you, when you, when the podcast comes up, if it's not, it's something you can look at for the future too. So, yeah, I mean, this podcast will sit on, you know, so if someone's listening to this next year, mm -hmm. they can just check in with you at your website yeah, to exactly. see the next group. Yeah, exactly. So membership is something that's rolling. You can join or leave anytime. And then in addition to membership, I've always, I, I have a bunch of other offerings depending on the time of year. Sometimes there's group coaching. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, but it's full. And then once COVID ends, I'm going to be doing retreats and a lot more in-person events. Oh, uh, you kick ass. I wanted to go to your retreat so bad. I hope you have another one. I'll be there. Dude, you know what's crazy about the retreat is, one, it sold out, which was amazing. It was amazing. It was, mm -hmm. and I was so excited to do more. I was like, this is my calling. I'm obsessed with retreats. Wow. And we were in Hawaii the end of February and literally we wore masks on the flight home because COVID was wow. just popping off. Damn. And if it would have been the next, that. yeah. If we would have had it one week later, we wouldn't have been able to hold it because it was like COVID started. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah, dude. So we snuck it in I'm and it so was incredible. Glad. It looked amazing. So I support you. I mean, I mean, like the retreat experience to gather with community and mm -hmm. intensive, you know, connection. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, y'all. We, I, I mean, this is a really good podcast episode. I can't wait mm -hmm. to share with everyone. I'm so excited. Make sure to follow along with Jacqueline's work and our love developing over the yes, internet. Exactly. Be ready. <laughs> podcast 2.0 coming. <laughs> Um, all right, everyone. Uh, until next time, may you be well. Thanks for listening to the Therapy Thoughts podcast. But remember, this podcast is not therapy. This is for general informational purposes only. The information on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. This also isn't intended to be financial, legal, medical, or therapeutic advice. Make sure you're always working with your own personal, licensed mental health counselor. May you be well. I appreciate you tuning in and supporting the Therapy Thoughts podcast. If you want to dive deeper into intuitive eating and body image and self-love, head over to tiffanyrow.com. It's the hub of all of my courses, the podcast, my merch, and information about doing counseling and coaching with me. I hope you guys stick around for more. We have lots of exciting interviews and thought leaders coming onto the podcast. So until next time, may you be well.